What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is episode 291 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the program on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And you can follow our social pages for the uh, you can follow our social pages for the latest updates on Facebook and Twitter slash X. Uh, great to be back with you folks this week. I uh, do want to extend a thank you to uh, Ryan McNeil and Chris Burns that came on to uh, Guest Friday last week uh, to talk some college football. It's a great conversation. Uh, you can go check that out if you have not already as we kind of go through and preview a bowl season for uh, college football that will start this weekend. On the 16th, will be a number of bowl games then, and then obviously it will lead up until the national championship um, on the first Monday, second Monday in January, on January 9th. So, a fun conversation, a little bit different um, than our typical Guest Fridays, but it was fun uh, to do that. So you can go check that out if you have not already. Uh, Guest Friday this week in a little bit of flux, um, so we may not have it this week, but hoping for um, hoping for a mailbag um, in the next couple of weeks. So make sure you... Uh, start thinking of some questions because I'll probably uh, be doing that either this either next week or the week after so keep you updated on that so great to be back got you know you know it was funny you know right before I started I realized that uh, speaking about the Celtics in particular um, they have just played one game since we last spoke so Maybe a little short on the Celtics, maybe a little short on the Bruins, as they only played twice in the last week. But uh, certainly, there's a lot. Some there is some stuff to talk about. So we'll get to both of those teams. We're going to get to the Patriots as well, um, and that's actually where we're going to start. It feels like uh, forever ago since they last played, which you know was a while ago. It was five days ago that we'll talk about uh, the Patriots' win in Pittsburgh. Um, I gotta say, I think looking at this game in a vacuum. Um, I didn't really think the Patriots had a great chance to win this game. You know, I thought that going up against that defense, they were going to have some issues, you know, with J.J. Watt, Alex Highsmith, some of those guys that they have on defense. You know, I think the Patriots certainly caught a break in this game with both of those guys um, leaving the game due to injury. But either way, I thought it was a good, good performance for their offense and you know, I think it was one of two things that I kind of thought about there, you know, kind of a, a double-edged sword in this game where on one hand, or, or, or pros and cons to this, that the on one hand, it was a pro that the offense could move the ball and could move the ball really, really well, especially in the first half. But the other part of it is, it kind of was frustrating because I think a lot of us, including myself, feel like that is kind of the way that the offense should run. You know, that that's kind of what they've been looking for all season long, especially through the pass game. And that is getting different guys involved and, you know, just, I, I, I mean, I'm not really sure if there's a, exact terminology I'm looking for, but it's like 
it just felt like there was more flow, there was more consistency, and it just seemed like for the first time in a very long time this season that the quarterback was making the correct decisions, making the right throws, making good throws. I think there were a couple throws that Zappi made that it was like, oh, okay, where has this been all season? And I think credit to Bailey, I think that he probably played the best game of his career on Thursday night, and he played some pretty good games last year, but I thought he was outstanding. And I think, look, I don't know if this means that okay, he's now the unquestioned next guy. I don't think anyone thinks that. But it was nice to see someone be in command of the offense and be able to run it and run it effectively, getting, you know, some of your top guys involved. You know, Hunter Henry, two touchdowns. Smith-Schuster, I think, had his best game as a Patriot. I don't think it was any coincidence that it was against the Steelers, so... I think, you know, and then obviously Elliot had a great game as well. And I think I'm definitely among the, definitely among the people that are most loudest in terms of wanting to bring him back to the Patriots. You know, whether that's going to happen or not, you know, I don't know because he could have offers from other teams based on how other teams have seen how he's done this year. But I think if there's any opportunity at all, the Patriots should absolutely explore bringing him back. Um, Because I think, again, here's another guy that I think played his best game of the season. You had, that was kind of the, kind of the theme on Thursday night where you had a number of guys play their best games of the season. And I think it just was refreshing to see the offense work the way that it probably should be working all season long. And it's, I think... Again, it goes back to it being great, but also disappointing because it's like, I don't really understand why Mac Jones couldn't command the offense like this. You know, it's it's just disappointing because I think that, you know, clearly what's happened with him is he, you know, lost his confidence along the way. And I think, you know, it just... It, it, it is what it is at this point, and I do personally think that he needs a fresh scenery. You know, I think that it's just not going to work here for him, but you know, I think that Zappi deserves a lot of credit for stepping into this situation and performing really well. Now, it's not been perfect, you know, clearly. The, the week before against the Chargers, it was pretty ugly, you know, couldn't get any points, but... You know, I think it just was good to see them be able to move the ball offensively and be able to, you know, hold on and get a win. I think that it's good for the team's morale. It's good for the team from a standpoint of, okay, we have spent so many weeks trying to, you know, do the right thing, especially defensively that they've spent a lot of weeks really doing the right things and doing everything they can to get a win. And I think finally getting to see them actually get a win, I think it's just great for their confidence defensively that they're like, okay, the offense was, we were, you know, the offense was able to pick us up and get it and get a win. And I think, 
it's something that I think is is difficult to. I think in this type of season, it's difficult to, you know, want to root for the team to win because you recognize where they are in terms of like the draft pick position. So I understand people that, you know, want to root for the best draft position. But at the same time, it's like, I think you still want to be able to root for your team to be competitive and playing well. Like, there are four games left. This team's not just going to give up. You know, they're not just going to pull their starters out, you know, play guys in the practice squad and just completely give up. That's just not this team's DNA. And I don't think it should be the team's DNA. Because as I've said before, like, I think the problem with some teams that choose to go the tanking route is there's not really there's not really a lot of proof that it actually works. And I think the the danger of that is it leads to guys not caring about the result and not playing their hardest and not playing with that competitive fire that you should be playing with every single week. Doesn't matter what your record is, what your draft position is. And it just, I think, becomes a cycle of, you know, kind of not caring. And, you know, I just, I, it's it's a dangerous place to be. And I don't want this Patriots team to be in that situation where players just kind of stop trying. And, you know, it becomes a culture of losing. And it shouldn't be that here. That, like just I don't I don't like that that thought um, so I think it was kind of just I think from my perspective it was a little a little strange to be people to see people like actively getting upset with that win and you know freaking out about their draft position and you know kind of seems like it's all for nothing because if you look at some of the scores this week that win against the Steelers may not be that bad because you look at some other teams that won this week and the Patriots now have, I think, some breathing room for a top three pick. And, you know, I think with this team looking at their schedule the rest of the year, I think you could look at one more win, at least maybe two. I'd be surprised, but I think you still want this team to go out and compete or at least that's what I want to see. You know, I think this week against Kansas City is going to be very interesting. I do expect Kansas City to win by a lot, uh, just based on their game this weekend. And I think that they're going to be taking a lot out on the Patriots. But looking at this Patriots team, how they do against a really quality opponent will be really interesting. You know, how do they choose to how do they choose to defend Mahomes? You know, how do they choose to try to attack the Chiefs defense that I think is one of the better units in the league? I think it's a worth watching because it'll be interesting to see, you know, playing a really good team. How do they choose to attack them either way? And I think as you know, good as the Chiefs are offensively with Mahomes and Kelsey, it's kind of been an issue with their receivers this year. So, you know, I think that this will be a competitive game. 
Patriots-Chiefs for some reason is always a competitive game. Don't think the Patriots win, but I do think that they could play this game at kind of a slower pace as a you know defensive game. Maybe they lose 24 to 13, but I think it's going to be a good kind of measuring sticks, not the right word, because that's something you use if a team is kind of on the fringes of contention. Obviously, this team is not, so it's not quite a measuring stick game, but I think there's reason to pay attention to this game uh, to see where the Patriots really stack up against a really, really good football team. So I'm curious how it goes this week, but I think, you know, I expect another loss. I mean, honestly, I think it'd be hard to expect a win against this team. So I think, you know, you can't really go in expecting a, a loss, but I did expect a loss last week against the Steelers, and they were able to win. So it'd be interesting to see. But I think, you know, Zappi, how does he do against this really quality defensive unit? Uh, I'm curious to see. So I think that's probably going to, you know, do it for the Patriots here. I think that, yes, there's um, always always room to talk about kind of the plans of the future of this team, but I think I'm, again, not really interested in talking about Bill Belichick's future because I've kind of already made that known. So um, I think we will move on, uh, talk a little bit about the Bruins. Um, so Patriots, Chiefs. This weekend, 1 o'clock start on CBS at Gillette Stadium. So, we'll take a look at the Bruins next. Uh, Bruins had kind of a quiet week with two games. Uh, Thursday night at home against Buffalo. Then Saturday afternoon at home against Arizona. Um, I think not the best performance by the Bruins. Uh, Thursday night in Buffalo, kind of an uneven game. Uh, didn't really have much happening um, offensively. Charlie McAvoy left the game with an injury. Um, you know, kind of a... Just kind of a, a lethargic, kind of lackluster game. Um, and I think, you know, I think there's some element of that game that Buffalo is a team that you've beat up on for years. You know, there was some stat that they showed on Nesson that the Bruins were like 18-1-1 in their last 20 games against Buffalo. And it's like, I think at a certain point, like you have a certain opponent that, you know, maybe there's some complacency that sets in and you think that, okay, it's Buffalo. We're going to beat this team easily. And the Bruins kind of looked like that for most of this game, a game where I think they got outshot like 19 to six um, in the first period. I think that, well, I think the record's been solid. They've been a solid good group that I think has done better than what I thought that they would be. I didn't think their record would be, you know, 18-5-3 or whatever it is. But I think one of my concerns with this group recently is the starts not being good enough. You know, and clearly if you're getting outshot 19-6 in that first period, like, you're not starting the game the way that you want to. And I think, unfortunately, it's kind of been the theme of some of their games the last couple of weeks that they've not been able to start on time, that they're 
you know, skating legs are not with them. They're lethargic. Um, they're just getting outshot and just getting outplayed. And I think, luckily, as I said to someone last night, you know, they have this elite group, you know, this elite tandem in goal. So, you know, they are able to stop shots at a great rate. They're able to stop, you know, high danger chances. And so, you know, when they get outshot 19 to 6, but the score is still 0 0, you think, oh, okay, it's really not that bad. But it's like, I think, again, it's the goaltending kind of masking the team's like flaws that the goaltending is so so good that it kind of makes some of the other issues kind of go away it's kind of you know similar to you know kind of talking about football here it's kind of how the Patriots with Tom Brady for so many years were able to withstand so many other flaws because Tom Brady was their quarterback they could withstand their past defense being really lackluster, you know, they could withstand not having a running game. And so it kind of is similar here. The Bruins can afford, I don't want to say afford, but they can have these games where they don't start well. You know, they can have all these other flaws, but they can fall back on their goaltending. And so I think the Bruins don't want to fall into a trap of just relying on their goaltending that, okay, we have these guys that can stop all these shots we don't have to start the game on time. And I think that that's, you know, dangerous. I'm not saying that that's the prevailing thought that the Bruins are thinking that way, but it's like the starts need to be better. Um, And I think even the first, you know, 10 minutes of the Coyotes game on Saturday was also not a good start. You know, the Bruins luckily were able to, you know, find some success on the scoreboard you know, build the 3 nothing lead, which, you know, got erased almost immediately or got cut to 3-2 to two almost immediately. But I think this was a game that the Bruins fought and fought against a good, you know, young, hungry team that I think, you know, can be, can be a problem for some teams. Um, speaking of Arizona, you know, they're a solid young team you know, with a lot of energy, and, you know, it's funny, uh, they, I think, had some recent winning streak that they beat all of the last five Stanley Cup winning teams, so, you know, beat Vegas, Colorado, Tampa Bay, and, like, St. Louis in, like, a five or six game span, which is, you know, crazy to think about, but it's like, okay, you know, this is a young, hungry team that, if you're not careful with them, they can get you. And the Bruins, I think, did a good job of kind of keeping them at bay and then, you know, being able to kind of push it over the edge in the third period. So I think that it's good to see that they're battling, good to see that they can kind of overcome some of these bad starts, but they can't keep happening. Um, And I think, you know, hopefully with some practice time, with three days off between you know, Saturday's game and then tomorrow's game in New Jersey, the Bruins can hopefully start better. Um, Because I think, you know, the starts need to be better because you can't keep relying on your goaltending to save you. It's like you want to be able to play good, you know, play, play good hockey from the start and not have to pick it up after 
the first period, first period and a half. You know, it's kind of like that Columbus game last weekend where the Bruins were kind of not really with it in the first two periods. And then Marshan, you know, takes over with the hat trick. Uh, so I think the Bruins are in a spot where they really have to do a better job with the beginning of games. Um, and I think, you know, goaltending more often than not is probably going to save them and mask them, but I think, or mask their issues, but I think still wanting to build your game is, is what they want to do. Um, I think, you know, I've said so much about Danton Heinen in the first couple of weeks that he's been here, but I, I can't stop raving about how solid, how good he's been. Uh, for this team basically being signed off the street and is just invaluable to this team. Um, and this team in this particular year, where there's not a whole lot of talent on this roster, it's just great to have a guy that's so invaluable that can play in so many different situations and is, you know, performing. He's got nine points in 18 games. You know, for example, Jake DeBrusque, 11 points in 25 games. You know, Heinen has made such a great impact that, you know, it's it's pretty un, it's pretty amazing that this is a guy that was without a job, you know, until, you know, into the season, that there was no other team that wanted to, to sign him, you know. So it really speaks to his game and his, you know, maturity as a player that, it's just, it's just, it's great to have a guy like that. And I think, um, you know, it's, yeah, it's just fantastic. And I think, you know, it's good to have with a team, again, that doesn't have the high-level talent that it did last year. Um, you know, kind of curious about going forward. Pavel Zaka had to leave Saturday's game with an injury, unclear if he's going to return. Um, so the Bruins might be a little bit, might have to be doing a little bit of jumbling with uh, the centers. You know, Charlie Coyle's been great. Um, so you're probably looking at him to play a lot more if Zaka has to miss any time. Um, and you might see Frederick or Geeky you know, slide into one of those center spots. Um, I think Matt Patra definitely could see an uptick in playing time. I think some of us were a little bit surprised with you know, him getting benched in the third period. But I think him being 19 years old, like, it's a learning experience. Like, he'll make mistakes. You know, the Bruins are going to be trying to, you know, coach to win games. And I think, you know, it's, yeah, he's 19 and he'll make mistakes. But at the same time, you know, if the coaching staff feels that he needs to take a seat, I think I trust the coaching staff. I trust the coaching staff that, you know, he's 19 years old. He's not played games at this, you know, rate as he did in juniors. And so it's like, okay, may need to take a breather every once in a while. You know, I think him not playing much in the third period on Saturday had more to do with kind of performance and the team trying to hold a lead. And I think it's fine. You know, I think that he's a kid that has good head on his shoulders and is not going to take something like that to heart. You know, I really thought that there was a great message from Jim Montgomery to, to him, you know, that I read in the paper that, you know, basically was, 
telling him to, to remember to smile and, you know, uh, remind him that the team and the organization thinks very highly of him. And I think, you know, that's a great thing to see from Montgomery. I think that he's known for that sort of thing, being a player's coach. Um, and so I think it's just refreshing to see that because I think, you know, the last coach may or may not have been able to get to the young players like that. So, you know, I'm not concerned about him. You know, he's a guy that, again, 19 years old, he's doing some things offensively that is that are like well beyond his years. Those are some things offensively and instincts that he has that really you can't teach. And I think that's what's so exciting about him, that he's, you know, so young and still has so much more to be able to show, you know, so much more room to grow. So I think I'd be curious to see McAvoy as well. He had left Thursday's game with an injury, didn't play on Saturday, but it sounds like he and Zaka are progressing, so they could possibly play on Wednesday. Mason Lowry has been back up because Derek Forbert's got on long-term injury reserve. So, you know, I think, again, I think we all, or some of us, I think, think that Lowry's best development is going to be in Providence. But, you know, if, you know, you know, things happen and he may have to be called up, you know, because of an injury. So I think, again, not the worst thing in the world to get him some games. Um, in Boston, but then curious about McAvoy, you know, to see if the Bruins have to rely on Ian Mitchell a little bit more and have him play a little bit more. Um, but I think, you know, just to finish on the goaltending, goaltending has been great this season. I think it's dipped a little bit recently, which I think is understandable. You know, as I said last week, water is going to find its level. And I think it's finding that with the goaltending that, okay, you know, there are going to be some bumps and bruises here and there. Uh, but I think, again, I still think this tandem is elite and I think is something that is a luxury for this team. But I do think that thinking about the the, the, t- the rough starts, if the team has to do a better job of starting better and not having the goaltending having to bail them out and make 15, 16, 17 saves, in the first period, because I think at a certain point that is going to be, you know, it's, it's going to be a lot of wear and tear. And I think that's kind of where the danger is in the not starting that, or the not starting on time is you, you know, force your goaltender to have to bail you out and make a lot of saves. And I think at the end of the year, that kind of adds up. So hopefully the Bruins can, improve on their starts in the next uh, couple of games. Bruins have a little bit of a busy end of the week here as they will travel to New Jersey, play the Devils tomorrow night, play the Islanders on Friday night on the road in Long Island. Bruins will return home for a Saturday night game against the Rangers at the Garden. So those are the three games this week. For the Bruins, Bruins will be on the road around Christmas, but we'll obviously talk about that next week. So I think that's going to do it for the Bruins as we move on.
to just want to make sure I didn't miss any Bruin stuff, but I think we're going to move to, uh, oh, we have, I just refreshed the page on the Bruins uh, official website, and there is some breaking news. The Bruins are recalling Jesper Boquist uh, from Pro from Providence. That was um, announced just recently, just this morning. Uh, Boquist has played in one game for the Bruins this year, so could tell you that Zaka may not be available on Wednesday, so Boquist might be coming up um, so we are going to move to the Celtics, and uh, here we go. Celtics uh, played one game since we last spoke, um, a good win against the Knicks. Um, you know, this was coming off the uh, play-in tournament elimination at the hands of the Pacers. Um, so Celtics played the Knicks Friday night, 133-123, the final. Um, I think a couple things that were notable to me in this game. Uh, first was the Celtics trying to get Drew Holiday uh, more involved offensively, and that was clear at the beginning as they got him set up for some post-ups and some layups at 16 points, uh, six rebounds, five assists, two steals, and a block was seven of 11 from the field. Um, I do think that with all the offensive weapons the Celtics have, um, it's easy to forget that you have a guy like Drew Holiday who can be a really good interior scorer, you know, when you need it. Um, you know, similar to Marcus Smart that can do a good job of posting up, getting some easy layups, you know, kind of be the beneficiary when he's, you know, typically the guy that might be setting other guys up. So that was good to see. I was glad that they're trying to get him involved offensively. Um, Derek White just, it's, it's so, you know, it's like you run out of things to say about how good and how consistent he is. Um, you know, did have a number of turnovers in the uh, Pacers game early last week, but is a guy that is just so consistent, is always looking to knock down the three, um, you know, way more confident as a player. Um, ever since he came over from the Spurs, uh, 30 points on Friday night and just, you know, just helps you out so much on nights where other guys may not have it. Um, and that's not to say Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown or Porzingis didn't have it on Friday night, but it's just so nice that they have a guy like that that can do pretty much whatever you ask him to do knock down the three, make some hustle plays, um, you know, block some shots. It's just great to be able to have that luxury of having a player like him that most of the time can kind of just be a role player, kind of fill in to help out here and there, but a guy that can also go for 25, 26, 30 points on a given night, you know, based on usage. And I do think that some of this had to do with Jalen Brown's ejection that, you know, he's going to get more opportunities. And I think, you know, that's kind of what you saw on Friday night where, um, you know, Jalen leaves the game and Derek White has to, you know, step in and kind of fill in some of his roles. Uh, so... 
I thought that was good to see. Uh, Porzingis, great in his return. You know, really didn't look like he missed a beat. You know, three for six, shooting the three, 21 points. I think it just, his game is just, it's, it's beautiful to watch sometimes. Um, and I think, you know, with all the talent the Celtics have, he can really focus on, you know, what he's good at and stretching the floor, being a deterrent at the rim, doing kind of those little things that he doesn't have to focus on doing everything as maybe he did with the Wizards last year. He can really be a guy that can be that third, fourth option on any given night and doesn't have to feel the need that he has to be that number one and be like the best player on the floor. You know, I'll kind of make a comparison here when the Bruins traded for Taylor Hall a couple of years ago. It was kind of the same effect that Taylor Hall for so many years had been relied upon to be that number one or number two and comes to the Bruins and he's more of kind of a complimentary piece and it helped to raise his game. I think it's the same thing for Porzingis. You know, statistics wise, he may not be, you know, crushing it, but it's like makes the the parts of his games that makes the part of his, the parts of his game that he is really good at. It makes it look so much easier and you know, I think being on this team where he doesn't have to be the number one or the number two option really is flourishing. So that was great to see. Um, you know, I think a little bit unfortunate to see Jalen ejected. Uh, Jalen ejected. Um, you know, I think sure the first technical probably warranted, but you know, I I, I don't really know why this seems to be. Uh, you know, and it's not just the Celtics, but I think it's like, it just seems like the last couple of years, you know, referees are starting to like kind of, I don't want to say take over games, but it's like being overly emotional and throwing guys out for like very little, you know, and kind of felt like it was the same thing with, with Tatum last week. And it's not just the Celtics, you know, you may have noticed other things in other games, You know, but it's just, it's unfortunate that stuff like that keeps happening. Um, but I think, speaking of that, one of the things I was impressed with was the Celtics' ability to stay focused even after that ejection. Because I think maybe if you look at this team two or three years ago, maybe they, you know, have that, that ejection happens and they kind of lose some of their some of their juice, and they kind of start to, you know, it's kind of a, not an emotional letdown, but it's like, you know, you start to play differently. You start to, you know, an ejection affects the team in a negative way. Um, and I think both times the Celtics, you know, with Jay, Jason getting ejected last week, Jalen getting ejected on Friday, you know, it's, the team being able to respond and being able to be like, okay, we've lost one of our best guys, but we're still going to play and still going to try to get a win. And I thought the Celtics did a good job at kind of sticking with it. You know, Horford, I thought, great game off the bench, 14 and 10. So I think just a couple good things from this game. Uh, Celtics, obviously, 
getting some good rest, I think, with the loss in the in-season tournament. You know, I talked about that last week, that it may actually be a positive for this team as they can, you know, kind of get some rest, get healthy, as they now have four games at home this week. Two against Cleveland, two against Orlando. First game against Cleveland um, is tonight. So, you know, I think going forward, you know, it's still worth paying attention to the bench um, because I think outside of your top six, you do need to figure out what you have. You know, I really am pleased with Sam Hauser. You know, Peyton Pritchard, I think, is has been kind of off and on, um, but I'm kind of curious about what else the Celtics think they might have. You know, I think you've seen Kata play a couple games. Um, you know, you've seen Brissett. You've seen uh, Delano Banton. You know, I think would like to see some more, some consistency from, you know, some of those guys who come in off the bench if the Celtics can, you know, get them more games because they will be pretty busy over the next couple of weeks with the homestand um, and then with the road trip in and around Christmas or, or up until Christmas when the Celtics will play the in-season tournament champion Lakers on Christmas Day. So it's going to be an interesting week. Cleveland, always a pretty decent Eastern Conference opponent. Um, and then Orlando, the team that the Celtics have had issues against the last two years. So I think it'll be an interesting week. How the Celtics approach this week will be interesting um, because they think with these four games, some of these good teams, you know, how do the Celtics manage against these teams that are likely going to be playoff, I don't want to say playoff opponents, but teams that could potentially be playoff opponents um, in the in the postseason. So interesting to see how they do. Um, I think we're going to move on, you know, with only one game, there's not A whole lot to kind of talk about, but Celtics 16 and 5, first place in the East. Uh, we'll take a look at the standings later in the podcast, but Celtics Cavs tonight at 7 30, and then they will do it again Thursday night, and then they have a couple games against Orlando Friday night, and then Sunday afternoon, and then they go out west. Um, so I think, yeah, we're going to get to. Some Red Sox, a couple moves that they made last week. Um, obviously, the trade of Alex Verdugo to the Yankees for a couple of, a number of, I think, minor league pitchers. Um, so, I think, I'm not surprised at the return. You know, I wouldn't think the Red Sox could get a lot for Verdugo. You know, people might think, oh, well, you know, you got traded for Mookie. Can't you get more? Well... I, I don't know. I just think the way that the end of the season transpired with him, that his value just kept going down. I know there were some rumors a couple weeks ago about Glaber Torres, but I don't think that trade really would have made much sense for would have made much sense for the Yankees. Um, so, you know, I think Verdugo's solid player, solid contributor when he was motivated and playing well, um, but I think the motivation was kind of the key thing that ended up being the reason I think why he's not here um, because he had a couple of issues with that last year, you know, not playing as hard and it just, 
you can't really have that. And I think, you know, the Red Sox kind of just needed to move on. I know some people liked Verdugo when he was here and, you know, thought that he was a solid player, which he was. But I just think the way that he fell apart last year kind of was like, led me to believe that he wasn't going to be back. Um, you know, had a good start to the year, could have been an all-star, but I think it all kind of just fell out in the second half of the year. And I think ultimately that's why he's not here. I think me personally, I'm not wild about him going to the Yankees just because, you know, knowing that he could be able to hurt the Red Sox. And I think he's a guy that could be extra motivated by that. But, you know, I think going to be what it's going to be. Um, then the Red Sox made another move, uh, trading for Tyler O'Neill from the St. Louis Cardinals, sending a couple of pitchers back to St. Louis. I think this is a really solid trade. Um, O'Neill's been hit by injuries the last two years, but um, in 2021, hit 34 home runs, was eighth in National League MVP voting, has won, you know, two gold gloves. So I think the Red Sox are kind of um, you know, banking on the potential here um, from O'Neill, 27 years old, a right-handed bat, which I think the Red Sox really need in a lineup full of lefties. So I really like this trade. I like the kind of banking on his potential. I think, you know, he and Verdugo kind of similar in terms of age and in terms of contracts. So, you know, I think the Red Sox taking a chance on a guy who I think could be really, really helpful, um, which I think he fills a lot of, a lot of, a lot of spots, right-handed power hitter, you know, can play corner outfield, but is also, um, or no, is a good power hitter, right-handed hitter, which the Red Sox needed, um, and then also very good in the field, which, you know, the Red Sox had a lot of issues in the field last year, so getting a guy who's a two-time gold glove winner, I think, helps. Um, and it's not that Verdugo wasn't a good fielder. He actually was pretty good, but I think you add in the other elements of Tyler O'Neill, and I think that, you know, basically swapping these outfielders, it's not... It obviously was not in the same trade, separate trades, but I really like this addition by the Red Sox. I think it's really smart. Um, you know, adds another outfielder. Still, I think there's a lot of movement that might be had to had, might have to be made in the outfield. Um, but I do like this move, kind of the first big move for uh, Craig Breslow as, uh, you know, the guys running the Red Sox. So. Uh, really a big fan of this trade. Uh, Red Sox are, I think, reportedly going to meet with um, Yamamoto this week, who is one of the uh, Japanese pitchers that is coming over to Major League Baseball and is a free agent. So Red Sox will be talking with him. Um, you know, potential potential addition to their starting rotation. Um, you know, also you got some other guys, Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, uh, Lucas Giolito. You got a couple of pitchers that are still available the Red Sox could look at. So uh, I think really a good big fan of the O'Neill trade. You know, curious to see what else uh, the Red Sox have in mind here as, you know, with 
finally Otronic being signed, um, I do think that there is a possibility that things start to get a little bit more. Free agency starts to open up a little bit more now that he's been signed. Um, and so, you know, hopefully you see some more action on the Red Sox front and we have more to uh, to discuss. So keep you updated on all of that. Going to get to some revolution quickly. Revolution uh, recently had acquired uh, Nick Lima, who is a uh, right-back defender, or was a right-back defender for um, Atlanta F or Austin FC last year. So he'll be coming over to the Revolution. Um, I think interesting addition because I think you know the Revs need a little bit need a little bit of help defensively. Uh, Brandon By obviously missed most of last year with a torn ACL. He had played right back, so I'm kind of curious to see where Lima fits in. But I think the Revs getting a good defender is always um, is always a good thing because the Revs, you know, I think still kind of not sure about the goaltending position going into next year. So shoring up that defense is definitely a, a good way to go. So talked last week about Tom, Thomas Chancolet. Thomas Shankalai, who will be back uh, for the next couple of years, which is great, but Gustavo Bo probably won't be back, which also, you know, just for me kind of stinks, was definitely my favorite uh, Revs player. So I think good start for the Revolution. I think still, though, need to find a coach and, uh, you know, figure out the rest of the roster before the season starts. But I think off to a good start with the addition of uh, Nick Lima, who is uh, in his, I think, will be entering his eighth Major League Soccer season, so an experienced guy to add to the back line for the Revolution. So I'm going to move on here, get to some um, NFL notes, and we'll take a look at the scores from this week. Justin Herbert with the Chargers is likely to have surgery on his broken finger today. Um, as he had left the game, left the Chargers game this past weekend against the Broncos. The Vikings are optimistic that Justin Jefferson will return this week against the Bengals. So now we're going to take a look at some scores, and we'll take a look at the standings as well. Kind of the week of upsets um, in Week 14 here in the NFL um, obviously got started with the Patriots' win on Thursday night. Um, so we'll take a look at some scores from yesterday and Monday, or yesterday and Sunday, I should say. Um, the Buccaneers with a late win against the Falcons, a touchdown pass from Desmond, or touchdown pass from Baker Mayfield to Cade Otten late in the fourth quarter, and the Buccaneers get the win to improve to 6-7. and seven. And they are now a serious player in the NFC South as they beat the Falcons. The Bears uh, shocking the Lions at home 24-13. Or 28-13, Bears get their fifth win of the season. Lions fall to 9-4 with the loss. The Bengals beat the Colts at home 34-14. Jake Browning with two touchdown passes as he continues to do you know, admirably uh, filling in for Joe Burrow. So Bengals improved to 7-6. and six. The Browns outlasting the Jags 31-27 to as Joe Flacco 
again, played some really good football for Cleveland. Browns win 31-27. They improved 8-5. The Saints getting the win against the Panthers, 28-6. Good defensive effort from the Saints as they improved to 6-7, now a three-way tie for first place in the NFC South. The Jets pull off a win over the Texans, 30-6. Zach Wilson, two touchdown passes. C.J. Stroud had to leave this game for the Texans with a concussion. The Ravens beating the Rams in overtime. A punt return touchdown for Tylen Wallace. The difference, one of the games of the year, Ravens win 37-31. They improved to 10-3 with the win. The Vikings shutting out the Raiders 3-0-7-6. The Vikings are now 7-6 with a 3-0 win. A lot of defense in this game, not much of anything, as the Vikings were able to hit a field goal in the last couple of minutes. The 49ers, another big game for Brock Purdy, two touchdowns, 368 yards. 49ers win 28-16, they improved to 10-3. The Bills beating the Chiefs 20-17, outlasting the Chiefs after a... Some people think it was a controversial call. I don't think it was. With Kadarius Tony being ruled offside, caught a lateral, scored a touchdown, they called it back. Uh, but the Bills hang on to win 20-17. to They improve to 7-6. Chiefs, Chiefs fall to 8-5. The Broncos beating the Chargers. They are now 7-6. And then the Cowboys destroying the Eagles, 33-13. Eagles fall to 10-3. Cowboys are now 10-3. Three teams tied atop the NFC with a 10-3 record. The Eagles still, though, have the tiebreaker despite the loss. And then two games last night, pretty close. The Titans getting a comeback win, 28-27 over the Dolphins. And the Giants getting a late field goal to beat the Packers. 24 to 22 the final there so as i mentioned the patriots being a beneficiary of a lot of teams winning this week you know opens the door for them to have a really good chance to have that um number two pick as a bunch of teams won this week um so take a quick look at the standings the Ravens now stand alone in first place in the AFC. Dolphins second, followed by the Chiefs and the Jags. And then the wild card teams, you have Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and Indianapolis. With Houston, Denver, Cincinnati, and Buffalo all right behind them. With the same record, Indianapolis has tiebreakers. So that's why they're in that last playoff spot. In the NFC, the 49ers, with the win and the Eagles' loss, they clinched a playoff spot. So first team in the NFL to clinch a playoff spot. So they are first place in the conference. Oh, that's what it was. So the Cowboys actually have the tiebreaker right now over Philadelphia. But I think if Philadelphia wins the rest of their games, they would hold the tiebreaker. I think that's what it was. So at the moment, 49ers first, followed by the Cowboys, the Lions, and the Buccaneers as the division winners. And then the wildcard teams, Philadelphia, 
Minnesota and Green Bay with Los Angeles and Seattle and Atlanta and the Saints all right behind them for that last playoff spot. And don't look now, but the Bears and the Giants are only two games out of the playoffs. So it may affect how they uh, proceed going forward. And Patriots and Panthers eliminated from the playoffs. Really no surprises there, but I guess that became official this week. So we'll take a look here at some MLB notes. Obviously Shohei Otani signing the big deal with the Dodgers. So um, the big news is here he's deferring almost his, almost all of his entire deal. Uh, 680 of the 700 million will uh, be paid 2 million per year annually. So obviously he'll be on the Dodgers for a period of time. I think obviously to me, at least not much of a surprise that he goes to the Dodgers. You know, I figured that they were going to be one of the favorites to sign him. So he will be there. The Royals signing uh, reliever Will Smith to a new, uh, to a contract. The Guardians signing Austin Hedges. Um, so we'll take a look at some free agency. I mean, I think really Otani's the big fish that was signed over the last couple of days. Yeah, that's actually exactly what it is. Well, the Yankees also uh, acquired Juan Soto last week in a trade with the Dodgers, or with the Padres, excuse me. So a pretty good get for the Yankees. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez signing with the Diamondbacks. Craig Kimbrell signing with the Orioles. So, yeah, you know, we'll see what the Red Sox have have um, up their sleeve if they are looking at signing any of the starting pitchers this week. So we'll take a look. Some NBA notes here. The Lakers obviously winning the in-season tournament final over the Pacers this past weekend. The Spurs and the Pistons Still uh, losing a lot of games and losing a lot of them consecutively. Spurs uh, setting a franchise record with their 17th straight loss. And the Pistons have lost 20 in a row dating back. I think is it dating back to last season? No, I think it's just this season, but yes. Uh, 20 straight losses for them. Um, take a look at uh, the standings right now. Celtics in first place, a game ahead of Orlando and Milwaukee and Minnesota first place in the Western Conference and some games on the NBA schedule tonight in addition to Celtics Cavaliers you have the Lakers and the Mavericks 730 start on TNT Golden State and Phoenix 10 o'clock start also on TNT and then you have Denver and Chicago at 8 o'clock Sacramento and the Clippers at 1030 Take a look at some quick um, NHL notes here. Uh, the Red Wings are placing Dylan Larkin on injured reserve with no time frame. So big loss for uh, the Red Wings. And uh, David Perron's been suspended six games for uh, the Red Wings, I think, in, re in response to uh, Larkin's injury. 
Um, so we'll take a look at the standings here. Um, Eastern Conference Bruins atop the Atlantic, a three-point lead over Florida and a six-point lead over Toronto. The Rangers in first place in the Metro, six-point lead over the Islanders, and a seven-point lead over the surprising Flyers, who are off to a good start this season. Detroit and Washington in the wildcard positions with Tampa Bay, New Jersey, and Carolina right behind them. In the Western Conference, Vegas leads the Pacific and the NHL with 43 points. Vancouver second with 37, and then the Kings third with 36. In the Central, you have Colorado, Dallas, and Winnipeg in the top three spots. And then in the wildcard spots, you have Nashville and Arizona with St. Louis right behind. And Edmonton don't look now, but they have won seven in a row. They are playing some really good hockey after the coaching change. So they are closing fast on the Western Conference wildcard. So I think it's going to do it for me this week. Do have a little bit at the end here uh, this day in Boston sports history. We're taking a look at a Bruins game 10 years ago today on December 12th, 2013. This was the year that the Bruins went on to uh, win the President's Trophy um, in the 2013-14 season. So taking a look at this game, Bruins played the Oilers on this date. Dennis Seidenberg scored and assisted in this game. He had two points. David Krejci had two assists. Uh, Jerome McGinley, Bruins legend, had uh, two goals in this game, including an empty netter. Um, Brad Marchand had a shorthanded goal in this one. Bruins win it on the road in Edmonton, 4-2 to the final. Uh, just kind of always interesting to go back and look at some of these um, some of these box scores. Some of the names on this Bruins team, uh, Matt Frazier, Jordan Caron, Riley Smith, Carl Soderberg, Ryan Spooner. Crazy, some of these names. Matt Barkowski, if you remember some of these guys. Um, and then obviously Bruins with the the usual guys, you know, Bergeron, Krejci, Krug, Lucic, Marchand. Um, Chad Johnson was the uh, starting goalie in this game and got the win with 39 saves. So I think that's going to do it for me this week. Great to be back. I'll be back with you next week. Guest Friday, we're still trying to figure that out. It's been a challenge the last couple of months, but uh, we'll hopefully be back and be doing a mailbag uh, sometime soon. So, uh, yeah, we'll be talking to you folks.